0: morning with a little survey. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you are an older sibling, meaning you have a sibling who is younger than you? You don't have to be the oldest, but but you have a younger sibling. That's a good number of you. Now, this question is for you guys. If you have a younger sibling, how many of you would say that your parents' were easier on or more lenient upon or, or let your younger siblings get away with way more than they let you get away with. Okay, you, okay, some of you are really anxious. All right, by show of hands, how many people would say that is the, the case for your family? That, that would be the majority of you. That's the, Honestly, that's the complaint that I get from my own kids. That we, we baby the younger ones. That, that they would never have been able to get away with what we let those younger kids get away with. That there's a double standard that, that we hold them to, that we don't hold the younger kids to. And I mean, if, if I'm honest, there's some truth to that. Because, we don't like to admit it, but it's true. We often refer to the older kids as the guinea pigs. We have no idea what we are doing. We're flying by the seat of our pants, just trying to do the best we can, and we make mistakes along the way. And so when we learn those mistakes, there are some things that maybe we realize that we were too hard on the, the older kids, and so then we correct that. And, and we aren't quite as hard on the younger ones. But on the flip side... There are some things that the older kids got wrong, privileges that they got, that we learned our lessons, and those younger kids are never going to get those privileges. Then on the other hand, when you're a young parent, you have these high standards, and you want your kids to meet these standards. And when you're young, you have the energy to enforce those standards. But as you get older, as you have more kids, your standards are just as high, but your your energy or your ability to enforce those standards, it just goes down and down and down because you're just plain tired. But I think there's another element to this as well. I think that there's an issue of perspective. We try to give our kids some level of privacy. We don't want our dirty laundry being aired to everybody, even our close family members. And so there are some things where a child will get in trouble and we won't tell all the other kids what's going on. And so they don't see, as an older sibling, there's a good chance that you didn't see everything that was going on. You didn't have the perspective to see Everything that your parents were able to see. Now, the last few weeks, we've been talking about our identity. Each of us has an identity, maybe multiple identities, but we said it's important that we, that we find an identity or where we, we take that identity that is rooted in Christ. Because if, if the, the things of this world come upon us as they inevitably will, if our identity is founded in something that is fleeting, something that is shakable or or something that is temporary, then when the trials of this world come that are stronger than those identities, our whole identity falls apart. And if we want to withstand the, the trials of this world, we need an identity that is stronger, an identity that is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. Our firm foundation. Now, last week, we started talking about how we begin to look like or act like those that we hang out with. You have your group of friends, and your group of friends probably dresses in a similar manner. You tell similar jokes. You, you speak similarly as you spend time with them. And if you go to another group, you begin to take on their mannerisms as well. And the same is true with Christ. If we want to have that firm foundation, if we want to have that identity that is solidified in Christ, the best way to do that is to spend time with Jesus. Because as we spend time with Jesus, then we begin to act like him. We begin to think like him. We begin to be like Jesus and solidify that identity in who we are and who he is. This morning, we're going to be looking at a parable in Luke chapter 10. You've probably heard of this parable. Even if you have not been in church, but a single day in your entire life, I'm sure that you are familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. We name hospitals and nursing homes and all these things after this parable. And as we look at this parable, so many times we take away the lesson that it's a a lesson about doing what is right versus not doing what is right. And yes, that's in there, but I want us to to look a little deeper because I think that there's more to it. I think as we look at Jesus' words and we look at this parable, there's a lesson here about perspective. And so it starts in Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. It says, a legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I want to stop there and and look, first of all, at the question that this legal expert asks. He asks Jesus, What must I do to gain eternal life. Now, typically, if you talk to somebody, just the average Joe on the street, and you ask them, what is eternal life? They're going to think living forever. If I continue to live, that is eternal life. But the issue gets a little more complicated as we, as we dig into this because there's different ideas of life. And as you look throughout the, the Greek New Testament, there are many different words that are used to talk about life. Two of them in particular, if you were with us in the teen group on Wednesday night, we kind of went over this. There are, are two main words that are used to talk about life in the Scriptures. The first one being bios, which is what we typically think of as life. I have a beating heart. I have breath in my lungs. I am alive. I have life, a physical life. But then we also have a zoe. Now, zoe is, it goes beyond a beating heart. It goes beyond breath in my lungs. Zoe is a fullness. life it is a fullness that is rooted in a relationship with God It, it surpasses this physical life and when this man asks Jesus what must I do to gain eternal life he's not saying what do I need to do what exercise regimens do I need to do what what medicines do I need to take to prolong my life so that I can live on this earth eternally He's not talking about the bios kind of life. He's asking about this Zoe kind of life. This life of fullness in relationship with God. What he's asking is the same thing that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. How do I solidify this foundation? How do I go deeper So that my identity is rooted in the the person of God. And Jesus points him back to the scriptures. Saying, what does it say? What do the scriptures tell you? How do you solidify yourself in this relationship with God? And he points to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you got it right. Do those things. Love God and love your neighbor, and that will solidify your identity in God. But that wasn't good enough. And the legal expert, he pushes a little bit. He pushes back on this idea of who is my neighbor? Basically what he's asking is, I want to have this deep relationship with God. How far do I have to go? What, what can I get away with not doing? Who is it that I really need to love? Which people can I exclude from this command? And this is where Jesus goes into this parable of the Good Samaritan. It says, Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him, <coughs> beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Now, I've heard many sermons, I've heard many Bible studies that have taken time to to dig into this and to dissect it and to explain who these guys were and and their motivations and and to to expound upon all the history behind this parable. And I'm not going to go through all that this morning. But I think it's important that we understand who these guys are. Because these titles of a priest and a Levite, they're not relevant to our modern society, and so we can miss what is being said here. The, the first one, the priest, that's probably the easiest for us to understand because we still have priests in other denominations. In most evangelical denominations, we don't have a priest, but the closest thing would probably be a pastor like myself. Those who lead the church, those who, who guide in spiritual matters... That was kind of the role of the priest. Now, the Levites a little harder. Levites were a a group of people that were set aside by God in order to serve at the temple. They they didn't hold the positions of the priest, per se, but they did other things around the temple or around the church. They would be the church leaders who do things kind of in the background. It would be like, Our church leaders here, those people in church that you look up to, maybe even your board members. We could single out Penny as the church board secretary. I'm sure she was going to hate that. But that would be this this position of a Levite, a, a leader in the church that wasn't necessarily the pastor. And this is the story that Jesus tells. Pastor Derek was walking down the road, And he saw a man who had been beaten and left for dead. And he passed by on the other side of the road and went on his way. Fortunately, Penny was coming down the road. And Penny saw the same man. But just as before, she went by on the other side of the road and continued on her way. Now, as we put that into perspective... I'm guessing most of you, if you heard a story about Penny or I just leaving some guy on the side of the road, you're probably going to find excuses for us. Well, I know Penny. I know Pastor Derek. They, uh, If they did that, I'm sure they had a really good reason. And maybe it's true. Maybe they were going to a, a church service. Maybe they had a really important meeting. If if this well-respected person passed by on the other side, if they didn't stop and help, well, then I'm sure that they had a really good reason for doing it. And that would have been the attitude of this original audience. As Jesus told this parable, they don't know the end of the story yet. They would have seen these well-respected people and wondered why they hadn't stopped, why they hadn't helped this man. And then Jesus goes on, in verse 33, it said a Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him. And when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now we have an understanding of who the priest and the Levite would be in our modern society. But this idea of the Samaritan, you have to really understand what was going on in that time period to understand the, the tensions, the, the hatred that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. The, the Samaritans, they were outcasts. As far as the Jews were concerned, there were tensions there. There were political tensions. There were racial tensions. They didn't like these people. They were the the deplorables of society. Now, pulling that into our modern sensibilities is a little tough because in our society we tend to, to encourage tolerance and understanding and so we don't really have one particular group that everybody would agree were the the deplorables, the the people that nobody likes. But if we were to put a label on them, I mean, it would be those who are marginalized. It would be those of of African descent, those of, of other racial minorities, those who are gay or trans, those who... In many societies, many areas, those who are of the lower income bracket, those that maybe are are drug addicted, those that nobody wants to to hang out with, those in society that are often relegated to this corner so that we don't have to, to deal with them, those would be the deplorables, those would be the Samaritans. That's who Jesus is pulling out of this story. As we look at the well-respected pastor, as we look at the well-respected church board member, and then he contrasts that with the lowest of the low in society. And look at what this man does. I mean, it's spelled out there. He was moved with compassion. When he saw this man, he he went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He took care of him. These are action words. He didn't just feel sorry for the guy. He didn't look at him and say, oh man, tough break. Hate to be you. I I feel for you, but I got to go. No, this man took action. He saw a situation that wasn't right. And he went out of his way. In many different ways. He went out of his way to fix that situation. Now, this is where we would usually get to the point where we say this is the lesson to help those who are in need. And that's a very good lesson. But we've been talking about our identity in Christ and and solidifying who we are in Jesus. And that goes deeper than just what we do. So I want to look a little bit deeper. If we're going to become like Jesus, we need to look behind the actions. We need to look at the motivations of these men. Why did they act the way they did? Recently, I've been watching a lot more basketball than usual. Not like NBA or or college or or anything like that, Andrew has started fifth grade basketball. And so over the last few weeks, I've been at multiple fifth grade basketball games. And I can tell you the very first one that I went to, I don't know a whole lot about basketball. It's not my primary sport, but I know the basics. I know the general rules and, and what to expect when I go to a basketball game. And so I go to this very first basketball game. And the first thing that I notice is as the ball comes down to this end of the court, everybody starts congregating right under the basket. And if you've been to a basketball game, you've probably seen the referees start doing something like this where they're pumping their arm. What they're doing is counting. Because when you are on offense, that painted area in the middle, you're not allowed to just sit there. There's a three-second rule, and if you're on offense, and you are in that painted area for more than three seconds, you get a penalty. So you have to keep moving and keep getting out, but all these kids just gathered under there, and no whistle was blown. And I noticed it on many other things. There's no shot clock. There's, you know, they called some fouls, but a lot of, a lot of things, double dribbles and, and traveling, they were they were a lot more lenient on these kids, and understandably so. I mean, they're fifth graders. We don't expect them to perform at a college or a professional level. They're kids, and so we, we give them that leeway, but you could say it's a double standard. That we hold the professionals to this level, we hold the college players to this level, But the kids, well, we hold them to a completely different standard. And I I think we would agree that that's understandable and expected. Because it all comes down to perspective. Because as an older sibling, it's not okay in your mind when you're held to this standard and your siblings are held to this standard. You see the rules. You see what everybody is expected to do. Everybody here agrees that the rules in basketball are important, right? If you're going to play basketball, you've got to follow the rules. The goal is that everybody follows the rules and may the best team win. That's the goal of basketball. And as... As an older sibling, it's easy to say everybody needs to achieve this standard. This is a standard that everybody has to meet. But as a parent, while you see that standard, the rules don't change. The rules are the same. Everybody needs to meet this standard. But as a parent, looking at your older kids and your younger kids, you see not only that standard, but what is it going to take to get them from where they are to be able to reach that standard. From an older sibling's perspective, it's not fair. It's not fair that they don't have to follow the same rules that I do. And I think this was the issue with the priest and the Levite. I mean, that's why we we expect that they would have done something. We hold them to a higher standard than we would that Samaritan because they are leaders they are the people that we respect and so we expect that if they didn't do something then they must have had a really good reason because our expectation is that they are going to meet that standard have you ever been on the highway you're driving down the road and you begin to see those orange signs and you start looking around because you know what's coming. And before long, you, you see one that says, lane ends, merge left. And if you are a, a studious person on the road, you immediately get over. Because you don't want to be that person in the other lane. Because inevitably, you're going to get up to that merge point And there's going to be somebody who didn't get over. There's going to be somebody who didn't follow the rules. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands about what you guys do in that situation. I know what I've done. I know that when I've gotten up to that point and I know that person has been in that other lane this whole time, blowing by the entire line of traffic to get to the front, I've been that person that doesn't let them in because they knew better. This is me teaching them a lesson because they knew the standard. They saw the signs. They should have gotten over well before. And now I'm not going to bend the rules. I'm not going to go out of my way to allow them to circumvent the rules and to do what they're not supposed to do. Have you ever been going down the highway? And you see the signs. And before you realize it, before you realize you're supposed to get over, everyone else lines up in that left lane. And you're essentially trapped in that that lane that's going to end. Have you ever been that person? I've been that person. And you're going down and you want to merge, but you also know they're not going to let you in. Nobody is making an opening, and so you just keep going, keep going, until you get to the end of the road, hoping that somebody... Is going to let you in. I think that's the difference here between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, they know the rules. They know the standard that everybody needs to meet. They know that that was a dangerous road. You don't travel that road by yourself. If you're going to travel that road, you need to take protection. You need to take precautions because there are bandits that are going to jump out. They knew all of that. Now, I don't know their entire motivation, but based on my own feelings and the way that I've treated people, I can imagine that they had the thought, should have known better. It, It stinks. I feel for you but you should have done better. You should have worked harder to to meet that standard. If you've ever been late, somebody, you, you, you get there 10 minutes early for a meeting and the person you're meeting with is 10 minutes late. So you've been sitting there for 20 minutes waiting for this person. And they come in and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, traffic was crazy. Or, you know, my, my alarm clock didn't go off. And you're thinking, you're an adult. You should have known better. You should have done everything that you needed to do. You should have accounted for traffic. You should have had extra alarm. Whatever it is, you are, you are responsible for getting yourself to where you need to be. But if you've been on the other side, where... You took all those precautions and something out of the blue happened. And you come in 10 minutes late and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's not my fault. Uh, traffic was crazy. They're doing construction and I didn't know about it or, or my alarm clock didn't go off. And you have a double standard for yourself versus other people because you have Perspective. You know what went on in your life. You know what prevented you from reaching that standard. But so many times we don't afford that same thing to other people. And I think that's where the Samaritan was different. Having come as the social outcast, as the deplorable, as the the person who had to scrape and scrounge, I'm sure he'd been in that situation before. Maybe he had a close call. Maybe he was in that exact same situation. But he'd been there. He'd made a mistake. Maybe somebody was there to help him out. Maybe somebody let him merge in when he hadn't seen the signs. (coughs) Father Leonard Cohen puts it this way. That we, as Christians... We need to allow space for people to be human and grace for them to be sinners. Because so often as, as the older siblings, we don't give grace. We see the double standard. The rules don't change. We all need to get to the rules. But we don't give the grace to those fifth grade basketball players to help them learn the rules, to help them get to that level. I'll tell you, church, we have a bad reputation. There are people in this country, there are people in this world who look at the church as a whole bunch of hypocrites because we invite people in, and then when they don't meet that standard, we start trashing them. Well, you need to do all these things. The rules are the same. I'm not denying that. God's holiness, God's righteous standard is the same for everybody. But so often, we view them as an older sibling viewing a younger sibling. And we don't give them the grace. We don't show them the mercy that we've been shown. I'll tell you as a younger brother, I looked up to my big brother. Everything he did was amazing. I wanted to do all the things that he did. I wanted to have all the toys that he had. And I wanted to, to go along with him and his friends wherever they went. And I'm sure that he didn't really appreciate it all the time. I'm sure that, that he looked down on me and he had to bend some rules with his friends because I wasn't able to keep up. That he and his friends had to slow down. So that I could still be with them. And I'm sure there were times he's like, y- You just need to keep up. If you're going to run with us, you need to do all the things. You need to reach that standard. But all I wanted to do was be like him. All the fifth grade basketball players want to do is play basketball. They want to learn the rules. They want to be just like those college players. They want to be just like those professionals. So many times we expect those new Christians or those non-Christians to be professionals. On day one. Well, now that you're a Christian, now that you're coming to church, you need to stop doing this, you need to start doing this, you need to get your entire life in order... You need to obey all the rules and reach that standard that we're all expected to reach. And we do that because we don't have perspective. We don't see it from the other side. If we want to have perspective, if we want to have an understanding of the other side If we want perspective, I'll tell you perspective comes from spending time with Jesus. Because as we spend time with Jesus, it becomes quite obvious that we don't meet that standard as we spend time with Jesus, whether it's in worshiping Him, whether it's in a Bible study or or gathering together with other believers, reading Scripture, whatever it is, as we spend time with Jesus, then we begin to compare His perfection and our failure to meet the mark. And we begin to see while the, the standard is the same, God's holiness, God's perfection, God's righteousness is the same. There is grace and there is mercy as we're those fifth grade basketball players trying to learn, trying to understand, trying to get to that level. And as, we're, as we spend time with Jesus and we're reminded the, the patience He's had a whole lot of patience with me. And as we experience it from that side of the equation, it gives us perspective to see, to see what the Samaritan saw. To see an opportunity to guide someone to maturity and to grow more and more like Jesus. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fail to to meet that standard. And when we do, God's patience, God's grace, and his mercy is there to help guide us back to where we need to be. And so many times, we take the role of the older sibling. We take the role of that person who won't let someone else merge because We haven't spent time with Jesus and we don't have the perspective of what it's like to need a Savior. This morning we're going to be partaking in the sacrament of communion. Because at its core, that's what it is, a reminder, a confession that we need a Savior. That we need Jesus in our lives. And this morning, as we partake in the sacrament, I would encourage you to ask God for perspective. That when you see these baby Christians, maybe yourself included, that you would have the patience and the grace not to lower the standard, but to help guide them and to understand their inability to get there on day one. As the music plays, I would encourage you to take a moment of self-reflection. To look at your life, look at where you are, spend some time with Jesus. And ask Him to, to give you new perspectives on your life as you seek to to solidify, to go deeper in that relationship, in that identity with Him. And when you're ready, I would ask you to make your way down the center aisle to receive the elements, the bread and the juice, and to take them back to your seats. And when everyone has done that, we'll all partake together. We don't require anything special. You don't need to be a member. You don't need to take a special class. You don't need to reach a certain age. All that's required is that you want to go deeper in that identity with Christ. That you want to understand who He is and who He has called you to be. And So I invite you. If that is you, I encourage you partake with us this morning. now pass on to you that which has been passed on to me that on the night when jesus was betrayed and arrested he first gathered together with his disciples and they shared a meal it was during that meal that jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it saying to them this is my body for you do this in remembrance of me you may partake of the bread Similar fashion, Jesus took the cup and he held it before them, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me." You may partake of the juice. We have been given so much grace and so much mercy by our Heavenly Father, who has been patient with us as we've learned what it means to be a son and daughter of the King. We then in turn must share that same grace and mercy and patience with others, seeking to guide them and lead them to this holy standard and understanding of of what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. They're not going to learn it on day one. Just like you didn't. If we want to be rooted in Christ, if we want to have that firm identity in who Christ is, Scripture's laid it out pretty well. Love God and love your neighbor. And if you struggle with the second one, what you need is perspective that comes with spending time with Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that that you would give us perspective. Help us to help us to not make excuses for ourselves and to condemn others. But God, may we see may we see this world. May we see people as you see them may we give them grace and mercy to to be human and to make mistakes and God may we have the patience to guide them and direct them into a closer walk with you for that's who you've called us to be that's the identity that you've given us You've given us the task of reconciliation to bring people to you that they may know the hope we have in Jesus Christ. So God, go with us this week and I pray that you give us perspective to love this world, to love our neighbor as you do. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen bless you guys. We'll see you next week.